here to deliver the most famous words in motorsports for the 59th running of the Daytona 500. Please welcome your Grand Marshal from the upcoming Disney Pixar film Cars 3, opening in theaters this June, the voice of Lightning McQueen, Owen Wilson. Drivers, start your engines! All right, and welcome into another episode of the Upspeed Podcast. Tyler Head, Dalton Mullinex, with you as always. Been a little over a week since our last episode as we creep closer to Speed Weeks. We're now, it's currently Wednesday right now, so we're a week and a half away from cars finally getting back on track. I don't know about you, but I feel like this offseason's kind of going by a little bit quick. Yeah, I feel like it's going quick, and I think it's because we had a good end of the year last year and a lot to look forward to this year. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, anyways, when Race Hub got started back up this week, that's kind of like kind of the kickoff to the 2020 season for me. Yeah, Race Hub uh, down at the Super Bowl down in Miami. Um, Fox is going to be covering the Super Bowl this year, um, as they do on the every three-year rotation. And, you know, with that, uh, obviously we've seen the uh, Daytona 500 commercials that have been playing through the various playoff games on Fox and everything like that, but you're going to get the unique opportunity to have, you know, millions and millions of more people tuned in for the Super Bowl on Sunday to see a Daytona 500 commercial in that stack as well, and hopefully that'll bring a few more eyes to the race uh, in, in a couple weeks. Well, that's the goal, and I mean, the commercials that they're running as well are, are pretty to the point. I mean, they, they highlight the stars and highlight the chaos that is Daytona. If you can hook somebody week one, you know, you may be able to keep them for at least a few weeks. I was going to say, you know, um, the, the last time Fox had the Super Bowl, they were still running their Daytona Day campaign, and um, obviously much of uh, fans like us were none too pleased with that, and I, I honestly don't think it really pulled in that many casual fans either, so I guess they decided no. to go back to the basics of here's cars on track, they're going to race, and they're going to fight for this trophy. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's kind of the, like NASCAR had a few years ago, the, the boys have battle mentality. Right. So, I mean, that's, to me, that's what NASCAR should be. Yeah, uh, uh, kind of kind of getting back to its roots, essentially, right? Yeah. Well, and, and we hear that a lot, and NASCAR says that, you know, they're trying not to alienate more fans and, and trying to, you know, be more accommodating to what the fans want, and that brings me kind of to our, our first topic of discussion because we got some news about stages yesterday. That's some news, not that big a deal. Others, a little bit concerning. So I'll go ahead and start off. And NASCAR, and this is from Bob Pockris yesterday. I'm guessing there was some kind of conference call um, similar to what you know what we had last year when we found out when the uh, Gen Seven car was already being in the works. I'm guessing this is the conference call to kind of. Let everybody know about you know procedures and things that are going to be going on this season and stuff. And uh, one of the first things was that stages are going to be split a little more evenly throughout a lot of races um, this year, kind of into thirds, uh, starting with the Daytona 500. The past couple years, the stage lengths for the Daytona 500 have been 60, 60, and 80. Starting in 2020, they will be 65, 65, and 70. Now, this will affect uh, the Daytona 500, both races at Talladega, uh, Atlanta, both races at Texas, Darlington, and then all of the shorter tracks, with the exception of Bristol, have their stages adjusted. And for the most part, with the exception of the short tracks, we'll get to those in a moment, the longer races, essentially, the 500-mile races, are all going to be kind of split into thirds. Um, 
honestly, I don't think this change is going to be all that noticeable, but it is something different. Yeah, it's different, but like you said, I don't think it's something that's, it's not a drastic change or anything. And for me, I mean, honestly, it's easier for me to kind of remember, like, you know, essentially just third the race in half, and then, you know, you can kind of go from there. But yeah, I mean, I don't really care. I have no, you know, strong passion for it or against it. I, I don't really care. It's just another, you know, a new change that they're making, and we'll see how it goes. And, you know, uh, speaking specifically for Atlanta, where we'll be in uh, a little over a month, you know, the stages have traditionally been 85 laps, 85 laps, and 155 laps. Now you're just adding 20 more laps onto those first two stages. So it's going to be 105, 105, 115. Again, really not that big of a deal. Uh, Once you get to the shorter tracks, and I said again with the exception of Bristol, and I throw Martinsville in there as well. So New Hampshire, Dover, and Richmond, where those races were typically split, where the first two stages equaled about halfway. Um, now, it seems like we're going to have a, uh, a, a half, phrasing this yeah. wrong, a, a pretty decent sized first stage. And then that second stage looks like it's going to be pretty long. So, for the example at Phoenix, where we typically went 75 laps, 75 laps, and 162 laps. It's now going to go 75 laps, 115, and then 122. Um, so they've made that second stage exceptionally longer, which has trimmed the third stage down a little bit. This one's this one's a little bit interesting to me. Now, is that just for the spring race, or is that for the, the championship race as well? It says both Phoenix races. Um, okay, and that's where you kind of get the interesting aspect of it, because, you know, if you have the 70, for the championship purposes anyway, if you have right. the 75 pounds in stage one, right. okay, that could be a shorter run. Yeah. But then pretty much stage two and stage three are identical. So if you're not good in stage two, you know, likelihood you're not going to be great in stage three either. Right. And we know, obviously, when you go to these shorter tracks, these laps click off. Um, pretty fast anyway, and kind of yeah. and, and looking down the list of the other uh, three shorter tracks. I don't want to use the phrase short track because New Hampshire because the, most of these tracks are a mile in length. Um, for New Hampshire, same thing, a seventy-five lap first stage, then one ten, one sixteen. Dover, same thing, seventy-five, then one sixty-two and one sixty-three. Of course, it's a four hundred mile race, and then Richmond is the shortest track to be affected by this. They're going to go eighty laps. 155 and 165 uh, again is it that big of a deal probably not I, I honestly don't think it's something that you're gonna really notice um, which is kind of interesting why I think why NASCAR feels the need to do this you know what I'm saying yeah it's somebody will complain about it but I'll, there's always somebody complaining about something NASCAR does so oh everybody 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 was complaining about it online I was reading all the comments and I like, wasn't surprised by it at the end of the day at the end of the day it doesn't it's not affecting anything really it, it's not because we still have three stages they're just kind of reworked into different positions um again we'll see it in the Daytona 500 in a couple weeks after a couple weeks you'll probably honestly kind of forget about it I will say though part of that bring up still staying three stages i thought it was interesting that they kind of thought about maybe potentially going to a fourth stage yes so that was the next thing i was going to get to and this tweet comes from jeff gluck and he says interesting nascar considered going to four stages instead of three 
but ultimately decided to put that on hold until the next gen car comes along. And here's what's really interesting to me. He says, then they'll see if the racing needs it. Now, yeah. this to me is really concerning. That Those specific words, exactly. Because we know that stages were put in place in 2017 to create more competition throughout the race. So to create, essentially, checkpoints that you're racing to. So, you know, lap 75, lap 150, and then to the end of the race. You, you have more competition throughout the race. Now, when NASCAR did this, they did not specifically say, we're doing this because the on-track product needs it. What they've done here by saying, then we'll see if the racing needs it, is really, really concerning to me. Because, uh, and I, I don't, they obviously probably wouldn't implement it before we ever saw the Gen 7 on track. But let's say we go through 2021 and the Gen 7 racing is kind of, or next gen car, sorry, is kind of met. So then we roll around to 2022. They say, hey, four, four stages in every race. We're going to break it up into quarters. They're outright admitting, hey, our on-track product sucks, but uh, we're just going to create another restart in the race. So don't worry about it. Like NASCAR is really, NASCAR's really painted themselves into the corner with just those couple of words alone. Um, yeah, it's, it's all about the wording that, because when I read that yesterday, I, I thought of it the same way as you. I was like, oh, they don't really, are they not sure what's coming in right. 2021? Now, you know, when, when we look back on 2019, and I, I'm thinking specifically for the, um, you know, mile and a half intermediate tracks that have really been affected by the new rules package, yeah, those two stage restarts definitely created a lot of exciting racing for those handful of laps and w with how easy the cars became to drive it definitely cut down on the cautions so if the next gen car is the same way we could be looking at a lot of races that don't have wrecks don't have anybody spinning out where you're kind of only getting those stage restarts to create that really really exciting racing for a few laps right and, and you know it does give them the opportunity to add that fourth stage which again you have to add the fourth stage probably not the greatest thing but um you know again only time will tell you know we can't really you know we can sit here and i've seen some people write their opinions on it that's fine everybody's entitled yeah, to their own course, opinion but that's gonna be this rough and obviously we've been fans of this for a long time and we've adapted to all the changes and you know we're, we're two people that want to see it in action before we make our big judgment on it correct not everybody's like that you know that, that, no, that that's no. pretty and, and obvious that's, and that's fine if you want right. to judge something off of off of paper and what you're reading right go ahead be mm. my guest but that's not what i want to do i want to see it on track i want to see how it all plays itself out and then right. i can judge you know because we talked about in our last episode i wasn't a fan of stage racing when it was first announced right. i thought it was dumb right i, I thought this is just this is stupid now I don't know how I survived without stage racing. Yeah, it's kind of one of those things that if we ever it's like, just, if we ever ditched it, it would honestly feel kind of weird. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is like, give it time. Yeah, you know that that's the biggest thing. Just give it some time, and, and that's kind of what I'm doing doing now is just you know see how it plays out. Don't don't judge it right now. Wait right. until you get down the line. Right, and that's my only concern is you know for the multitude of changes that NASCAR's had 
over the past 10 years, you know, and I'll be honest, you lose at least a small percentage of your fan base with every change that you make because there's always the people that make one more change I'm not watching anymore. And some people stay true to that word. And, you know, when adding a fourth stage, you know, NASCAR does need to understand that they're probably going to lose at least a small percentage of people by doing this. Um, I, I just really think, you know, we're not in a bad place right now. You know, no, we have we have stage racing, we have the elimination style playoff format, and we're still holding pretty solid fan base. So right. I, I I just want to see some sustainability for a while without making a lot of tweaks year to year. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Um, I agree. But you know, sometimes NASCAR just can't help themselves. It seems like. Yeah, sometimes they get in their own way. Um, another quick hit about stages uh, now, and this is essentially in response to splitting a lot of these races up into thirds, we're back to having 50% of the race being completed for it to be official, not to the end of stage two. I mean, this kind of makes sense, you know, especially when you're talking about having to go two thirds of the way to get to the end of stage two in a lot of these races. Um, you know, that just kind of prolongs things if you're fighting rain or something like that. I imagine, you know, if the race gets called, uh, you know, at halfway and we're not at the end of stage two, then the winner and is just going to get stage two points. Top ten is going to get that, you know, in descending order of whatever. I uh, Again, this is something that honestly may never even come into play if we don't have a rain-shortened race, but it's something you're probably going to forget about pretty quickly. Yeah, and, and this is another one that I don't have an issue with. I mean, you know, if you can, if you can, you know, you can do the math if you want to, but what's the difference between you know, halfway and the end of stage two. Is it really that big of a difference? I mean, if you think of somewhere like, I guess, Daytona last summer, then sure, it may make a difference. But like you said, it's not going to make that big of a difference. For It's not like it's affecting every race. Right. So uh, I'll go back to pulling up these stage links here. Um, let's just say, oh, God forbid that this happens in the Daytona 500, so stage two for the Daytona 500 now ends on lap 130. The race can be called at lap 100. So, yeah, I mean, but but again, we're talking about how many races get ran short every year. Average yeah. one to two. Yeah, we're so, talking the difference of like 45 miles. Yeah, so I don't. Excuse me. And 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 this is us essentially saying that rain is going to hit when they exactly hit halfway. Which yeah, that's not how it between works. The time, between the time you get to halfway and the end of stage two, yeah. if it happens, you know what it happens. Right. You know, maybe we're getting gypped by ten laps of racing again. If you're having a rain shortened race anyway, I don't think it's that big of a deal. No, and I mean crew chiefs. I mean they're gonna they're gonna make strategy calls based on whatever that that point is. So who cares if it's halfway or if it's the end of stage two? They're gonna make their calls based on when the new cutoff line is, and now it's halfway. Right. Um, some more procedural changes uh, going down the series a little bit. Uh, Matt Benedetto tested out the Xfinity road course at Indianapolis um, the other day. That They announced this when they announced that the race was going to be run on this road course the other week. Um, he went out there, he tested different track configurations, and they settled on the 14-turn layout. The way I understand it, this layout kind of creates a really good opportunity in the final corner for like a bump and run type of thing. So I can see why NASCAR kind of went with this. Yeah. Um, and hey, you know, road course racing has been some of the best racing we've seen over the past 
honestly, eight to ten years. Um, and I, I think this Xfinity Road Course race this summer will be a big indication of kind of what NASCAR's future at the Brickyard is going to be. Yeah, and, and I, I will say this. I hope that, I hope that you know, going forward, that, you know, like you said, NASCAR's experience at the Brickyard, I hope it's not based on this year, but I hope it's also taken into consideration. Right. Well, and, I mean, I, and here's the thing. NASCAR is going to keep racing in Indianapolis. Like, right, that, that's going to happen, especially now that Roger Penske owns Indianapolis Motor Speedway and is obviously an active owner in NASCAR. They're going to keep going there, but they're determined to make the racing the best they can. And if it ends up having to be on the road course, well, that's just what it's going to be. But, you know, I think they understand that the, the oval may not be the way to go. And, hey, once we get to the next-gen car next year, maybe that creates some amazing oval racing um, at the Brickyard, and that fixes everything. But, you know, at least we have a plan B. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, jumping down to the Truck Series now, this came out last week, and this one I was not a fan of. Uh, I've always been a fan of the Truck Series playoffs only having eight trucks in it. They've now expanded that to ten. And for, now, and we talked about this in the last episode, I think. There's going to be a lot of competitive trucks competing for playoff spots this year. More than 10. We're talking somewhere around 14 to 16 trucks, actually, this year, which is really, really good. But I just don't like the idea of expanding the truck series playoffs. Adding in two more trucks. Essentially, a lot of people are calling this the KBM rule because, obviously, um, Todd Gilliland and Harrison Burton missed the truck series playoffs last year. But at the same time, like that was su- that was such good drama, especially throughout the summer as we got closer to the playoff cutoff. Was like, man, are these guys going to get a win? Are they going to be able to point their way in? Like it was an ongoing thing that you're kind of taking away from by adding two more trucks into the playoffs now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I don't know. We talked about this a couple times in the past this off season, but like eight is enough. You know, and at the end of the day, how many quality trucks are there? About eight. Yeah. And what's the difference between eight and ten? I mean, really. It's not. So, I mean, again, I don't think it was necessary. You know, we talked, the age we're in now, everybody just wants a participation trophy. Right. So, I mean, I guess that, you know, if you make the ten in the playoffs, it is what it is. I don't know. I just don't like it. Well, and I think back to last um, summer as well, again, kind of the overarching story was Harrison Burton and Todd Gillen, what are they going to do to make their way in? I go back to Tyler Ankrum winning at Kentucky and how that just completely turned everything on its head as far as the um, playoffs went. And if you have 10 trucks last year, that really doesn't make that big of a ripple effect. So I hate that we're taking away that possibility about adding more trucks into the playoffs now. Right. Um, honestly, I wish all three series only had eight playoff spots because that would make it more exclusive and just one win doesn't get you in. That's me personally. Well, that's a part of the Cup Series that kind of gets on my nerves Mm -hmm. is, you know, it didn't happen last year, but, you know, okay, Denny Hamlin was the Daytona 500. Mm -hmm. He may not win the rest of the season, but he's still making the playoffs because he won one race. And, like, look, everybody loves the Cinderella story. One of my favorite races that I've ever watched was when Trevor Bain won the Daytona 500. Yep. Okay, just a, a Cinderella, underdog, whatever you want to call it. Yep. And 
if we if he won that race in his current playoff format, he he'd most likely been in the playoffs. Yep. And and I'm not saying that it's a waste of a spot on Trevor Bain, but it's like that that would have been like had um, Justin Haley qualified for the playoffs last year. Right. Everybody in that garage, including Justin Haley, Justin Haley himself, knows that he's not one of the best 16 drivers in the field. Well, go, go back to 2016 when Chris Buescher won by fog at Pocono. Um, Shout out to the weather. Driving for front row and, and got into the playoffs then. And, you know, we, I mean, we all know Chris Buescher's a good driver, but that, that car wasn't getting any deeper into the playoffs in the first round. And sure enough, he got bounced. Yeah. Um, but And when you really think about it, though, I imagine the sponsors – like or the teams at least like to be able to sell the sponsors hey we made the playoffs and honestly a lot of these sponsors may not even know how the playoffs work they just hear playoffs and think oh that must be a good thing so if 16 drivers can claim hey we made the playoffs last year give us more money for sponsorship you know i I guess nascar sees that as a good thing right right um but i I will say this at least now and really bugged me a lot prior to the stage racing and playoff points and stuff like that, at least now the playoff points and the stages at least allow the more competitive cars to not get eliminated as quickly. So typically the guys that get in on points alone, no wins, uh, no playoff points, are probably going to get bounced in those first two rounds. And, and you know, that, that kind of... To me, I view the playoffs as, all right, you make the first round 16 drivers, you better go out there and win something or or you're not advancing, essentially. Like, we know the top four, uh, basically the top eight are pretty safe through the first round or two, barring just catastrophic um, circumstances or anything like that. Correct. So, at least there's that element of it now that doesn't make it quite as random. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, one other thing, talked about the trucks playoffs. Um, you know, Chandler Smith is, I, I think, going to be a really good. He's already a good driver. I think he's going to be a really good driver. Though. Yes, yes. And obviously, you know, he'll run some races for KBM this year. So, um, you know, he won't be able to compete full time because he's not 18 yet. Right. So, you know, they'll have to put in a waiver if he were to win. What, what do you think about that rule? Do you think that if you know, see, I believe the number is he's only he'll only be able to participate in nine of the sixteen races. Wait a minute, let no, me or, let me look up his birthday I, here. I believe it's nine of the sixteen. Um, I mean, that's my thing is like I don't know. I I feel like I don't know. I, I guess my thing is like I don't care if he gets added to the playoffs if he can win and make it into the I believe top twenty in points. Right. But at the end of the day, like you're not competing the entire season. Right. So, so all right. So Chandler Smith will turn 18 on June the 26th. Wow, he was born in 2002. That makes me feel really old. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So let's do some math here. His first race that he would be eligible for is not until Richmond in April. So he's gonna miss the first five races. He can run Richmond, Dover. And then Iowa before he turns 18. So, okay, conveniently for him, he, he, the Pocono race is the day after his birthday. So that's three races. So he would technically be allowed to compete in 
13 of the 23 races. Okay, I just I found Bob Parker's tweet. Okay. It says that uh, NASCAR won't rule on whether KBM driver Chandler Smith, who will miss who will miss nine of the 16 regular season truck races, okay, would be eligible is. for the championship. Yeah. They had to put in the waiver, so right. he'll miss nine of the 16. Yeah, and that's the thing. He's missing nine of the 16 regular season races. Yeah. Yeah. I think. And, okay, technically that is over half. I think if if you're not in the neighborhood of, like, only missing three to four, I'd have a really tough time giving him a waiver. Yeah. Um, but here's the thing. If he comes out of the gate and wins Richmond, wins Dover, or something like that, or wins one of those races, um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him one. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's, he's from kind of where I am, so it's pretty cool because I remember when he was coming out on the dirt track and stuff like that. So it's pretty cool to see him have an opportunity at KBM. So I would want him to be put in, you know, just from that standpoint as a fan. But, man, could you imagine Kyle Busch if he had won a couple races and he didn't get put in, the waiver was denied? That would be a sound clip for the ages. Oh, yeah, I know without a doubt, especially considering the fact that Kyle Busch missed all those races and... 2015 and still won the title, so he would he would definitely have a legitimate argument as to why they should put him in. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I don't know. No, I think Chandler Smith definitely has a very good shot to win some races this year. He definitely showed some good potential at the races that he ran last year. Um, but I don't know. I think that'll just have to be something a bridge will have to cross when we get there. Exactly. So, um, no. I definitely think he has the potential to outrun a lot of trucks because he will be um, driving for KBM. But again, we'll see. Um, yeah. You mentioned Chandler Smith being a dirt racer. I probably should have mentioned this at the beginning, but it's happened a week and a half ago now, so it feels like forever. Kyle Larson finally won the Chili Bowl the other weekend. And he dominated, too. I mean, it was just it was so much fun to finally... like The jubilation he had from winning was just, you know, obviously kind of blew it last year and I think he'd admit to that too right um, uh, now as cool. now as most people expected it came down to him and uh, Christopher Bell Christopher Bell led about the first 37 laps of the 55 lap main event but I really feel like Kyle Larson was kind of biding his time because of course in these uh, you know, dirt races you get a lot of cautions you get to restack the field a lot and when they got what might have been the last restart with 17 to go it wasn't the last restart Kyle Larson just put the foot to the floor and threw it all the way into turns one and two and got by Christopher Bell, and that was it from there. Um, now, he nearly screwed up with about two laps to go because he clipped the cushion, um, and that's a mistake that he made a lot of in his early Cup Series days by just smacking the wall towards the end of the race and losing his chance to win. Fortunately, he held it together. He won the Chili Bowl, and for Kyle Larson, that is obviously this race was big to him because he's been chasing it his entire life. But I think this is a catapult of momentum going into 2020 for that team, a team that ended last year on a fairly high note by winning at Dover and going fairly deep into the playoffs. Yeah, they were definitely on the upswing towards the end of the year. And, you know, I, not that either one of us know him, but, you know, you, you read basically everything they do in their life, you feel like you know him. Yep. And I feel like he's a guy that lacks confidence. Mm-hmm. And I, and I don't know why. I mean, you know, he's he's uber talented, and sure, the, the the wins don't show up like one would have thought they would at this point in his career. Right. 
but he's still a talented driver. And like you said, you know, what if what if it took winning the Chili Bowl to finally just to give him the extra push? Like, look, I can do this. You know, right. I don't know. I, it's just I hate seeing a guy again that's so talented. Mm-hmm. Feel, feel like they're not. Feel like they, you know, they've let guys down. And, and I feel like he's a lot like Chase Elliott. Mm-hmm. They just put so much pressure on themselves to be perfect, and nobody's perfect. Right. You know. I mean, you know. So I'm hoping be a springboard into this season for him. Oh, I hope so, too. And, uh, again, especially with a team that... It, it, I think Chip Ganassi Racing was helped out tremendously by having Kurt Busch come on last year. But when you have Kyle, or, uh, Kyle Larson winning at Dover and, again, making it into the round of eight. Didn't get to the championship at Homestead, but still, that's momentum to build off of. And, you know, if he can go into this season with a I-feel-good mentality, I, I think the rest of the Cup Series better look out. Yeah, because he's, I mean, he's a guy that can win at multiple different places. He can win, you know, different style of driving. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that he would be a guy that you would look at and you can go, you know what, I think this guy could get it done this year. Absolutely. Um, now he certainly uh, rubbed some people the wrong way because he got out after the race and said, I'm sorry, NASCAR, I'm sorry, Daytona, but, you know, this is the biggest race to me that I've always wanted to win. Um, did he need to say that? No, but... I mean, people got to understand that's that's what he's been chasing his entire life, and I, I I understand where he's coming from. I didn't have an issue with anything he said. I didn't. I, I thought it was funny that um, in his post race presser he said, "Yeah, I'll probably get a text from O'Donnell or something like that, and you know then we might have an issue." But you know, I spoke my mind. Yeah, I mean, but again, but again, like I don't understand. I think we touched on this a little bit last week, but you know. It, what does it matter? I mean, I get that O'Donnell would want him to say that the Daytona 500 is the greatest sporting event of the world. I get it. But you also talk about you want drivers to be themselves. And it's like, that was his Super Bowl yes. growing up. Yes. You know, that's what he wanted to win. And I don't want to speak for it, but you could probably ask Christopher Bell the same thing, and he may give you the same answer. Right. Well, and, you know, you, you kind of think about it. Now, Kyle Larson did grow up a NASCAR fan. You know, there's... Um, you know, pictures of him wearing a, a Jeff Gordon shirt at Sonoma back in, I'm, I'm guessing that was the 90s, but so he obviously grew up understanding what the Daytona 500 is and everything like that and the importance of it, but, you know, uh, again, then they showed the pictures of this at the Chili Bowl. He made his first start in the Chili Bowl when he was 15 years old, so he's literally spent half of his life trying to win this race, and that's what it just I think a lot of people are missing the point, like, He's not saying the Daytona 500 isn't important, because it is. You know, if he wins it in two weeks, he's going to be the happiest guy on the face of the earth, but he hasn't spent his entire life trying to win that race yet. Right, and he finally got it done after years of trying. So, I don't know, I just don't... I hate, I hate like, when you take the, the heat of the moment, you know, drivers just, you know, so excited after the race, and then you take that and you run all these different stories. It's like... Sure, that's probably what they were feeling at the time. And I'm sure he still feels the same. I would hope he would have no regrets to say that. Right. But I don't know. I, just, I don't understand why he can't vote. If he were to win the Daytona 500 this year, he might, I think it was John Jr. said, you know, get back to me when you win the Daytona 500. Yeah. And he may still definitely, maybe he will. Right. But, you know, he's, he's not right there again. I don't have an issue with him being honest. No, I don't either. Um, moving on to a couple silly
that Daniel Suarez is going to go full-time in the 96 for Gaunt Brothers Racing. This is kind of something we've known for a while. We just kind of got more details on it. Aris Companies and Coca-Cola as well are going to be the primary sponsors. This is not a team that has ever run full-time in the Cup Series. They've done a lot of one-off starts with Parker Kligerman and um, uh, uh, DJ Kennington at the Super Speedway tracks and stuff like that. Um, but they do get TRD support, so we got another full-time team in the Cup Series, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I definitely think they're going to have some growing pains, but it seems like they've got good financial backing now. Well, they've got financial backing. I think they've got a driver that's ready to prove, you know, that you sh- I should have never been let go at Joe Gibbs Racing, and I shouldn't have been let go at Stuart Haas either. Right. And the thing for him, and I think for Gone Brothers Racing as well, is that there's no pressure for him to perform. No, there's not. You know, if he goes out and finishes 25th, mm-hmm. I mean, heck, they're probably happy with that. No, yeah. So, I, I, I think... mean, that's the thing. is, like, I think this is a place he can grow in. And I know we've talked about him, you know, deserving an opportunity because he's kind of been, you know, screwed over the past two off seasons. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think this would be a good opportunity. You know, there's no pressure to win right now. Right. It just it just continue to grow as a driver, grow as a team, and then who knows? Maybe he's there for the next five years and, and you know turns that team into a, a uh, furniture row racing kind of thing. Well, you, that you never know. That's, you never know. That's exactly what I thought of. You know, you think back to Kurt Busch going to Furniture Row back in 2013, and that was a team that had largely just been a mid to back of the pack team outside of their one win with. Regan Smith at Darlington in 2011, but Kurt Busch really elevated that team to another level, and within two seasons, they were, um, within three seasons, sorry, that they had become a JGR affiliate, and we all know what's happened since then, so, you know, we know Daniel Suarez has the talent, heck, he won an Xfinity Series championship just a couple years ago. If he can elevate this team to the next level, you know, there's no telling where they can go. Well, and maybe, maybe this is where he really needs to be. To, to kind of get his foot in. I mean, because he was, after the Carl Edwards retirement out of left field, mm-hmm. you know, he was, just, he was just thrown into the fire. And was he ready? I, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people say he was because he won an Xfinity championship. But, yep. I mean, winning an Xfinity championship doesn't mean that you're ready for cup. I mean, just ask William Byron. No, yeah. No, and you look, know, you know. The growing... So maybe he can find his footing with, with Gone Brothers Racing and, you know, I was going to say, if he can just stay in one place for three seasons consecutively, I think that would do him a world of good. Because, and, and even in the two years that he was at JGR, it was just constantly, well, are they going to keep Suarez in that 19? Or what are they going to do with Christopher Bell? Or, you know, how, how, how is this all going to work? He was just constantly under the pressure of, am I about to get booted out of this seat? He's never had the peace of mind. And the same thing with Stuart Haas racing this past season. The entire year is like, what are they going to do with Cole Custer? Is they going to bring Suarez back? You know, how much money does he have? And it just, he's never been able to just go out there and race without scrutiny. And he doesn't have that now. He doesn't have that now. And it, it may take three or four seasons at this 96 car, but if that's what it takes to get him back into a top tier ride where people will just leave him alone for a little bit. I think it's the best thing for him. Yeah, it would be it would be a welcome straight off. And and the the other potential rumor about what he was going to do this season was go back down to Xfinity, possibly with RCR, race the number two car, maybe get some spot starts up in the Cup Series. But 
this I'm okay. Deal. I was I gonna really say I like that route for somebody like an Elliot Sadler, who's gone up to the Cup Series, proven everything they can prove, and just shown, hey, I can't compete at this level. I don't think we've seen Daniel Suarez's true potential in the Cup Series, so I didn't want him to give up on them yet. So. I'm cool with this, and hey, we got another full-time team. Now, they do not have a charter, so they will have to qualify on time for all of the races. Again, outside of the super speedway races, we're probably not going to get more than 40 cars at each event, so I don't think that should be a problem for them. So, uh, one more thing of the silly season before we get out of here. I interviewed him last fall when he was driving for Rayon Brothers Racing in the truck series, Mason Massey is going to be driving for BJ McLeod in the Xfinity Series. Starting at Las Vegas, he's going to be running 19 races. I talked to him about this. He was really, really excited. And this is a, uh, an opportunity for him. Now, this, is, again, is, is a mid-pack team in the Xfinity Series. But he has the potential to get this car up into the top 15, maybe bust in the top 10. He's really going to start turning some heads if he can do that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, then work your way up. I yeah. Mean, you know, it takes, sometimes it takes time. Right. Time is, you know, a lot of people want to rush right up and find any way to get to the top they can, but, you know, sometimes the back marker cars and you can kind of do what you want to there and, you know, just improve your crowd. Well, and now in this era, you know, especially in the Truck and Xfinity series where we have so many of these quote-unquote ride buyers that are just, you know, having their parents cut a check or something like that, Mason Massey is one of these guys has really had to grind his way to where he is. He, he's 22 years old, and for most uh, guys in this age of NASCAR, if you're not driving a truck by the age of 18, you know, you may as well forget it. So the fact that he's now starting to climb the ladder at the age of 22, I really like where this is going. And, you know, if he can garner more attention, I, I really think he's a guy that a lot of people can latch on to. Yeah. So, um, really, really excited for him, and, and hopefully... That works out well for him again. His first race will be at Las Vegas um, at the end of February. Um, yeah. One other tidbit that just dropped within an hour. Okay. Uh, Alex Bowman. Yes, Alex finally, Bowman. Finally gets primary sponsorship. Yes, that that literally happened right before we started recording this. I hadn't even checked Twitter to see. I'm going to go pull up the Bob Pockers tweet to get the details of this. Now... The biggest concern was, for me, and we know Vaveline was going to come on for some races, was that they were just going to have to slap Hendrick Auto Guard on this car for the entire season. Um, right. here, here's, here's what's going to happen, though. It says Chevrolet, or Vaveline is going to be the sponsor for the Daytona 500. Chevrolet Accessories partners Adams Polishes, Noco, and Truck Hero will sponsor for a combined 26 of the races. So now they've still got nine races unsponsored. I'm sure they'll fill those individually um, later on down the road. What this sounds like to me, Chevrolet accessories, reminds me a lot of what Toyota does, especially down the truck series. So when you see uh, Harrison Burton driving the Safe Light Tundra for Kyle Busch Motorsports, well, Safe Light necessarily isn't sponsoring Kyle Busch Motorsports. They're just an affiliate of Toyota. So that's where the brand deal comes from. It's mainly Toyota paying that sponsorship and these brands getting to be on the truck or car because of that. And that sounds very similar to what Chevrolet is doing here. Obviously, we know Hendrick Motorsports 
has been a long-time Chevrolet tenure team. Maybe this is Chevrolet doing Rick a favor. Maybe this is Chevrolet trying to, to break into that kind of sponsorship with more teams. I don't know. but I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's about so- time. Yes, it's something different and something new for Chevrolet. Yeah. So, we'll see. This is this is definitely different. Now, he, he will have um, a couple of races sponsored by Exalta, um, a couple of races sponsored by Cincinnati, and I assume Lumar is going to come back. So, that should probably cover all the races then, unless I'm leaving out one or two. So, I think Bowman's good for the season now. Should be. It's just really, it was concerning that it happened this late in the going, you know? We're just yeah. a week and a half from being at Daytona, and he didn't have anything finalized. So, but hey, full-time sponsorships, full-time sponsorship, whether that comes from the manufacturer or individual sponsors, it's nothing to complain about. Yeah, who cares? So, all right, well, uh, this will be, our, I guess, our last technical preseason episode, because next yeah. week we can finally preview the Clash, uh, the Arca Race, and Daytona 500 pole qualifying. Yeah, get past the Super Bowl and it's NASCAR season. I was going to say, and you and I are, are big football fans, and I'm excited for the Super Bowl, but I'm just kind of like, all right, let's play the game, let's get it over with, and let's get down to business and get to racing. Yeah, for real. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, me too. All right, well, we'll be back next week to finally start previewing some on-track action. Um, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. I'm at TylerHead18. Dalton is at... MullinaxWX. I feel like that's, that's really simple to remember. I should probably remember that more often. But, hey, we got a full season coming up. That's right, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll remember it then. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. Um, let us know what you think of the podcast. You can also listen to us on the brand new 960 The Ref app under the On Demand feature. We'll be back next week, and we'll be ready to kick off the 2020 season. Thanks for listening, as always, to the Up Speed Podcast. We'll catch you next time.